How many of y'all enjoyed Jim Hockaday? Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that awesome? Uh, we shipped him back to Colorado where he's cooling off a little bit. Um, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot. And uh, we'll have him back. And um, anyway, anyway, it's an answer to prayer for me. Anyway, we've got a lot of things to do in this church. But tonight, tonight, sermon is the rich young ruler. Now, it may go a little different than you think. But you know, I always preach on prosperity, and I know that you guys are thinking, what are you going to do with a rich young ruler? Jesus told him to give all his money away. Well, we're going to find out, but we're going to find out there's more to the story than that. So anyway, I believe that in the culture that we're living in, we're going to deal with culture tonight, culture in America, and something that's going on, and, um, and I want to do my best to explain it. Now, let me explain something. This Sunday morning, I'm going to go back to preaching in him realities and who you are. And because if you, if you get into a battle and you begin to fight a battle from defeat, you'll, you'll, you've lost. You have to step into the field victorious and you have to know who you are to do it. Now, because of that, I, I've, I've reserved Sunday morning to go over and root you in foundation and get you very rooted. When you're dealing with sickness and disease and, 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 and you don't know that you know that you know who you are, that you're born again, you're righteous, you're loved, you, you end up begging God. And, and, and it don't work. That, that's never worked. Nobody ever begged God and got anything from God. So um, the point of Sunday morning is to get you over there to where you know who you are. Okay. Now, Wednesday nights, I have a little more mature crowd. So we get into a little bit more of how God wants you to live. You know, just because you're born again and he loves you doesn't mean that everybody's, you know, doing right. Anyway, so we get into a little bit more of that. Pray that, and, and you'll see tonight, it'll be very gracious there's no condemnation. So go to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read the story of the rich young ruler, but we're going to take it apart. And I think that you'll leave tonight and go, that was actually really good sermon. I had someone make a statement to me the other day, and I appreciate it. I don't know whether you notice this or not, but we have some of the best guest speakers. And I, and I pray that you appreciate the fact that we go and find them and bring them in. Now, we're, we're able to bless them because of you. And they always leave whatever you give in an offering, which is always good. We always, we usually double it. And they leave and go. That was a blessing. Don't call me in, in a month wanting to come back. <clears throat> but I want you to know that, they, that people leave here and, and they have a, they, they compliment this church greatly. Every guest speaker leaves and goes, wow, wow, what a great church. And I just, you need to hear that. You need to know that. People out there who travel to 
a lot of churches, they walk out of here and go, this is a great church, comparatively speaking. You're givers, you respond, you, and so they, they make this statement, those people know their Bible. I said, well, you can thank me for that. <laughs> so anyway, Mark 10, let's go to Mark 10, let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. As we open up the Word of God, we get into it. There's things you want to say to us. There's a lot of things you want to say to us individually as people, as a church, that in the times we're living in, that we'll understand the times and be able to, to walk in victory during the times we're living in, and we'll give you the glory for it as you speak to us tonight through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 17, now as he was going out the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now I want you to pay attention because everything that's going to happen is about that question. If you get off of it, he's not talking to him about money. He's not talking to, he's going to be answering how do I have eternal life? Now, understand something. Jesus is preaching pre-cross. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. And he's preaching to Jews under the old covenant. So you have to remember who he's talking to when he's talking. And we're going to get into that. You're going to enjoy this. So, um, so Jesus said, why did you just call me good? That's a good question. Now, you have to answer, ask this. Does everybody that walks up to Jesus know who he is? No, they don't. So when he says, good teacher, he got Jesus' attention and went, okay, that's an odd thing to say. Tell me what you meant by that. In other words, do, do you have a revelation of something? And he's going to pry him right now to find out What's going on inside of this young man? Now listen to what he says here. Why do you call me good? None is good but God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Jesus looked at him, loved him. That's a good statement. Jesus is going, I like this guy. So what's going to happen now has nothing to do with Jesus being disappointed in him. He's already said, and I like this guy. I love this guy. This is a great guy. That doesn't mean that he's going to make heaven. You know, God loves a lot of people. Okay, good, 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 good. One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure where? Come and take up your cross and follow me. He was sad at that word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Why, why would Jesus look at someone and tell them in order to have eternal life, give all your money away? Is that really what he's saying to him? You and I both know that th that's, there's rich people that are Christians. And we know Jesus was rich, and Abraham was rich, and Job was finally got double rich. And, and his disciples are fixing to be astonished at his statement 
But we have to discuss this. What, what is he saying to this man? Now, I'm going to stop right here and ask you a question. Because it seems odd that he would say this to him. But what would happen if, for instance, you were a business woman? You were a woman, you had a business, and um, you were quite wealthy. Drive a nice car, you were single, and a very wealthy businessman came in the church. And you knew he's quite wealthy. In other words, he's real wealthy. And one day he looks at her and says, don't you and I go on a date? She goes, uh, okay. And then they hit it off. They go on another date and on another date and another date. Finally, one day he goes, why don't you just give your business away and come on? I mean, if you knew he was a multi, 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 multi millionaire, you'd be going, I got this. Yeah. And just hand the keys to your car to somebody and just, he doesn't need her. I, I don't need your $100,000. I don't need your Lexus. I, I'll get your rolls. So, so you think about this for a minute. We know that Jesus is a king. He, he just offered the man a position in the kingdom of God. Seated at his right hand, ruling the nations forever. And he went, Nah. What, what, what he did was he found out that when he said good teacher, he really didn't mean it. So what is Jesus? What, now, he's still talking about eternal life. What is required? What is the one thing that's required for eternal life? Relationship with God, fellowship with God, and walking with God. Is, am I, are we right? Now, we're talking, we're talking after the cross. Now, we, we all know that. So Jesus looks at him and says, come on, follow me, let's go. And, the, and his money stopped him. And he went, hmm. Which was quite a shock compared to what he was just offered. Now, now let's get away from the man and the woman and the bride and the groom thing for a minute. And let's go back and say, what if someone that owned a corporation walked up to you and said, I could use you. Come on, go, go to work for me. We're talking about billions of dollars, not, not million, billion. The average, average American would jump on that and go, oh, you bet. Unless the person offering you the job, you don't know who they really are. I mean, all of us in the room would go, she just turned down a job. That's stupid. But yet Jesus, Jesus asked him, why did you say good? What, what do you mean good teacher? Does this guy know who Jesus is? Has no idea who he is. A lot of people today don't know who he is. When he offers you, come follow me, they're like, I don't know. I mean, I kind of like got a job at McDonald's and, and you know, I mean, you're liable to send me to Africa and when God, I don't know what you, you know, I don't know nothing about you, Jesus, but my life is a wreck, but you're going to wreck it more. You don't, you don't know who he is. Now listen to this statement. 
Jesus never came to take anything from anybody. He said, I came that you have life and life abundantly. I wrote something down today from Miles Monroe, and, and I know you're going to want to write it down, and if you want to later, come get my notes and write it down. It's kind of lengthy. Miles Monroe makes this statement. You were never born to be a success. You were born to make a difference. Rich for the sake of rich is a dead-end street. You have no life. Now listen to this. That is the grassroots and starting point of vision. I'm going to read it again. You were not born to be a success. We have a lot of people today talking about success, success, success. You might want to define it. What does it mean to be a success? Money? No. That's not success. There are things money cannot buy. And one of them is a relationship with God. Well, that's getting, see, y'all are livening up a little bit now. Just to be a success, just to be a success is not vision. It is selfish ambition. Now, now the world we live in today, everybody's talking about, well, I just want to be a success. We have people getting jobs that they hate in order to make money. That's not success. You're living so you can have two days a week off. No wonder you don't go to church. You only have two days to spend all the money you're making a job you can't stand. Oh, don't shout me down. I'm preaching better than you, amen, and already. Okay. Now, let me finish reading this. Let me finish reading it. <clears throat> and Jesus looked around, <clears throat> please excuse me, and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished. Now, let's look at, let's do a picture of astonished. What? <laughs> How hard is it for those who are rich to enter the kingdom? What? There's 12 men freaking out over a statement that a Jew makes about money. They know about Abraham. They know about Job. I mean, they're not, these are Jews. And Jesus comes along and goes, it's really going to be really hard, people with money. You have to remember, Peter had a fishing business. Jesus has a treasurer. That eliminates him. So they're like, what? Now, to see, you need to understand, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written by a Jew to Jews. That's why the American anti-prosperity message doesn't work in Israel because they don't know, they think you're crazy. Jews, there's a reason their name is Goldstein and Silversmith. And if they could, it'd be platinum. I mean, I don't know. I mean, never mind. Now listen to what he says. And the disciples were astonished at his words and Jesus answered Again, this time he adds a word. Children, how hard is it for those who trust? Trust. Trust. 
in riches to enter the kingdom. In other words, he didn't say you had to be broke in order to get to heaven. He said you can't put your faith in the fact that you've got the almighty dollar. If that dollar is hindering you from walking with God, it would be better if you gave it away. You, you, listen, let me make a mistake. It, don't go to hell with money in the bank. Now, I'm not saying you have to give the money away. We know that James said um, that, that, you, that rich people should be rich toward God. Now, now you understand, now Mark Hankins makes a statement. There's as many scriptures that, that talk about the positive scriptures on prosperity, and there's just as many warning you about prosperity because a lot of prosperity could be dangerous if your heart's not right. All right. Now, you remember what he just asked him? He just asked him to be a part of his team. Now, think about that for a minute. That's, that's powerful. That's powerful. I, I'm going to read the rest of this, and I'm going to get in. i got to come back to this. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it says right here, and then they were greatly astonished. They went, what? Louder. Now what, now, what in the world does he mean by this? Now, if you don't understand Jewish history, you're going to read, some translations say, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a sewing needle. There's no, the word sewing's not in the Greek. No such thing as a sewing needle. You don't shove camels through sewing needle eyes. That would be extremely, that is impossible. All right, now what is the eye of a needle? It's a gate in the wall in Jerusalem. When nighttime came, in order to keep from being invaded, they would close the gate. And any wayfaring traveler, rather than spend the night outside, could come in. But he had to unload the camels. And he had to get the camels on their knees, and he had to drag the camels through the hole. It's a hole about that wide and about four feet tall. And I mean, you cannot invade through a needle. It's going to take you a good hour. Unload your camel, drag him through, and then you're going to go get your goods. What's he saying? I don't care if you have money. Just don't bring it in here thinking it has anything to do with me and you. If you're coming to me, you're coming on your own, on your knees. All I want is you. I don't need your money. So he's talking here about the fact that, 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 yes, you can get in. But if you have all this junk, <laughs> never mind. Now, now, I'm not quite sure where to take you next. Go to Acts 26.20. It looks like we're going to change directions here just a little. Well, I've got to finish this. 
Jesus looked at him and said, with men, it is, now let me finish this and then we'll go to Acts. Put it on the screen, let me finish it. Jesus looked and said, with men it's impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. Is it possible for you to be born again? Without, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Peter began to say to him, see, we left all and followed you. Now listen to what Jesus says now about money. Because he answers the question. Surely I say to you, there's no one, now he's talking about right now, Peter, James, John, even you and me, that has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake and the gospels who will not receive a hundredfold win. Now, in what time? This one. He's not, he's not trying to make you broke. Now let's go back to my story of the man that wants to marry the woman. I want you to marry me and be my wife. Leave your, forget your business, sweetheart. I want a wife. I will take care of you. Isn't that what he said to him? He's offering him a relationship with him. I offered you to walk with me and you went, no. That's quite a statement. And yet it happens today all over this nation. When I got born again, you've heard me tell this story, and I need to go over a little bit of it that I don't normally go over. But I was so supernaturally broke, God got me a job. And why he got me a job at a fiberglass plant was because I'm going to get into something for 30 seconds you don't want to hear. Occasionally, he'll put you in places that you don't like to teach you things you don't know and to work things in you that you need. So some people go, I don't like this job. Well, it just might be God. Thank you. See, the whole point of you being born again is to turn you into a son of God. Christianity is not about missing hell, making heaven. It's about walking with God. That's the root of Christianity. So when I got born again, God got me a job at a fiberglass plant because I was supernaturally broke. And in one year, he got me out of debt and driving a new car. I mean, supernaturally, you've heard me tell the story of learning to tithe, learning to give, and all that. Then I got promotion after promotion, supernatural promotions. Mike Nacera, the plant manager, took an interest in me. I just went to work every day. I'm working as unto the Lord. I'm, I'm working harder than everybody else. I'm getting there earlier than everybody else. I'm obeying God. And I caught his attention. So... He came one day, I'm on a roll-up machine where, they, where all of the fiberglass comes down to the end and there's a machine that makes these big rolls and I've got to keep the tape machines going or it'll dump fiberglass on the floor and the machine runs 365 days. It doesn't turn off. 
The machine is like a mile long. It is not turning off because I'm having a problem at the roll-up, which is the very end of the whole line. And I have to keep the machines running or I will get buried in fiberglass. Well, that was the job they gave me, and I ran it so well. Mike Nocera came one day. I didn't know who he was. And I, he's watching me, and, and I'm, I'm running. I, I ran the machine so well, they took my help away. That was nice. Now, if you understand in, in Georgia, there's no air conditioning in this place. You're sweating, and fiberglass is sticking to you for eight straight hours. It's like dying and going to hell every day. Thank you, Jesus. So they get, I get, I'm on the roll-up machine, and, and, and I'm doing so well, they take my help away. Well, now I'm working double hard, but I don't care, because the Bible says work as in the Lord. And there was two girls, Mary and Martha, in that, and they ran the baggers, which you put the fiberglass in, and it puts it in the bag, which you have in the Walmart. I mean, in, in Home Depot, you pick up a little bag. So they only, it's, a, it's slave labor. I don't know what y'all, I mean, you get two 10-minute breaks a night and, and lunch for 30 minutes, not 31. And 10 minutes, you'll get water and go to the bathroom, and you'll get back because you're, you know, there's someone roaming around doing your job for 10 minutes and, and the machine never quits. So you understand. So fi- I got a bright idea one night to look at Martha and say, I'll do my job and yours for five minutes or three minutes. Go get some water. And she'd say, all right. Because the water fountain's just right there. And they would run, get water. And I'd say, hurry back, hurry back, hurry back. And I'm running my machine alone and hers. And one night, Mike Nasser came along, he's leaning over and he goes, why do you work so hard? And, and I, you know, I, I didn't know any better. I said, well, I don't work for you. And he said, well, I don't know who you work for, but you're doing a good job. <laughs> and I said, and I don't know who this guy is. I said, well, I'm a Christian. When I got this job, God got me this job. He told me, work as in the Lord. And so I'm, 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 I'm working as in the Lord. He said, well, you're doing a good job. I said, well, thank you. And I went back to work. Well, about a week or two later, he comes back, and, a, and, and someone walks up to me and says, the, ball, the manager of the plant said, you can have any job in the plant you want. You're getting a promotion. So get me off this hallelujah machine. I was going to say something else. I had to catch myself for a minute. Hated that machine. I hated that machine. Got me off, took me out to the warehouse. When I got out of that warehouse, Buck had heard that the manager of the plant sent me out. Well, he's like, I'm going to tell you something, boy. Now, you understand, if you, you understand Georgia, there's rednecks up there. Let me tell you something, boy. You'll load three and a half trucks a day, or I'll throw you out of here. I said, okay, three and a half trucks. And when, and when he walked away, the Lord said, four. I went, oh, you're no friend of mine. And I loaded four trucks every time I walked into work. I outworked everybody there. But again, I'm on the scripture, work as in the Lord. So Mike Nasera sends for me again and has lunch with me. That scared me. Now you understand, I'm, I've never been called into a 
corporate office in my life. I've always been the guy that everyone fired. Not, but since I got saved, things began to change. I'm obeying God. And I'm tithing. Yeah. Had to throw that in. And he comes in there and he has a sandwich for me. And, and uh, he said, um, I really like the way you work. I said, well, thank you. He said, we have a job opening in the, the maintenance department, but you don't have any seniority in this bill. He said, and when I put this job out, you'll have 20 or 30 men with more seniority than you, and you will not get the job. But I want you to have it. So here's what we're going to do. Do you know anything about maintenance? I said, I don't know a thing about it. He said, I want you to come in at night and we're going to train you. You will know every wrench, nut driver, uh, no matter what, whatever tools they need, we will train you so that you are the most knowledgeable person that's going to ask for the job. And then we're going to put a criteria on it. The most knowledgeable man will get the job. Nobody knows they're bringing me in at night and teaching me the job. And I got the job. Now I'm running the tool crib. Later, they gave me workers in the tool crib, and I brought the whole system at certain teed under the Georgia Pacific numbering system so that when someone came up for something, you would just bring it in, there's a number and all that. And, and I put it on a computer, and I, I worked my tail off and one day the Lord said, go tell Mike you're leaving. You're going to Ramah. And he cried like a baby. He said, we're grooming you to run the plant. Now, see, some of y'all go, well, that preacher, he just after the money. Let me tell you something, numb nut. I had money. A brand new house was $30,000. A brand new Camaro was $3,000. And they're grooming me to manage plan. And the Lord said, I want you to go to Raymond. And I made 20 a day when I got to Tulsa. Why am I telling you this? Because some of you need to realize that when you decide to obey God, it's not going to be lined with wealth. It will. It'll take you there. It might be a little while. Amen. There is a sacrifice to obeying God. Now, God does it as a test. Let me explain something to you. By the time God got me here, don't worry about your money. God's already burned the desire for your money out of me. Do you understand? God will train you to do the job. And you will not be covetous when he's finished with you. Because he will have proved to you that he can meet all of your needs no matter where you go and what you do. And God had already proved that to me. Does that make sense to y'all? So when Jesus is talking to this guy, he goes, come on, follow me. By the way, give all your money away. Where's his faith? In himself. Now, I could have told the Lord, 
It's the best job I've ever had. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be married to Lisa. I wouldn't have my boys. I would have never. I had to pick my purpose over money. That's what the world's looking for. And a redneck boy at 21 years of age and managing a plant, <laughs> within a year I'd be driving a new Camaro. But in one year, I was a maintenance man at an apartment complex sitting in the Bible school making $5 an hour, four hours a day. Broke and in loving life. Learning about God, learning about the anointing, and learning the Word of God. Because purpose trumps everything. I'd rather work for Jesus than be a millionaire. Does that make sense to you? Okay. I'm going somewhere. So I have your attention. I can tell you that. I already have your attention. Verse 30, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecution in the age to come, eternal life. And those many of them would be first. Will be first. Right now, Lisa and I, we pastor a church. We own the building. We own our house. We own our boat. We own a jet ski. We own the truck. We own, I own everything. I've never even asked her how much money's in the bank. I've never even seen my own checkbook. Don't give a rip. Just make sure there's food to eat. That's not the way most people live. Sit around worrying about money. Well, during my birthday, y'all gave me a lot of money. I was like, oh, wow. You know, but I was shocked. I still have some of it. I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. I've been giving it away. I've been giving people money. <laughs> I mean, I might as well do something with it. Lisa's over there going, give me some of it. I'm going, no, I ain't giving you enough. No. Okay. Now go to Acts 26.20, and I want to show you something um, about the eye of the needle. I need to show you something about Christianity that we've missed. And he, he declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. The gospel is not come to Jesus, go to heaven. This is why there's a mess in America. It is not come to Jesus, pray a prayer, go to heaven. We're missing something. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sin. We have a lot of people out there going, I prayed that prayer. You didn't pray the right one. This is what Paul preached. Repent. Turn from sin to God. Turn from selfishness to God. Let's look at one more scripture and then I'm going to show you something. Luke 24, 47. Look, and I'm going to use another illustration. I think you'll get it. Are y'all learning? Are y'all getting this? Okay. Did I not give that to you? I may have been. Okay. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. See, he, he didn't say, go preach, come to Jesus. He preached, repent, come to Jesus. 
When we take communion in church, I don't think we've ever understood what we're doing. I'm going to give you a hint. Marriage is a blood covenant. That's what marriage is. It is a blood covenant between a man and a woman. Now, I'm going to get into the real before y'all were in heathens marriage. A young man went to the father of the bride and asked for her in marriage. Asked for her, didn't ask the girl, asked the father could he marry the daughter, and gave her a dowry, and then he left. That's an engagement. You, according to Jewish law, you got to get a divorce from engagement. As far as they're concerned, that's the marriage, sort of. He leaves, goes, prepares his business, goes and prepares his home to get her. She's waiting for him. In a Jewish wedding, all they do is have some wine, dance, and go have sex. The moment they have intercourse, <coughs> they've consummated the marriage because she sheds blood. Then they go in the room where she was, take the sheets and bring them to the public so everybody will know a blood covenant was just cut. Wow, and y'all are going, I'm glad I'm not Jewish. All right, what is going on in a wedding? That man says, I'm giving you me. The girl has to say, I'm giving you me. In Christianity, you got him. But you may not understand this, but he got you. Or he was supposed to have gotten you. Your life as far as you're concerned, other than being married to the king of kings, is over. That's what, that's what was happening the night when Jesus um, took bread and wine, and he said, this is the covenant. Listen, Jesus is not the only one dying that night. Eleven men died that night. The day you got born again, you died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. You don't have your own life anymore. This is why there's such a problem in, church, in American churches. Okay. Book number one. William Booth. The chief danger in the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, and politics without God, and a heaven without a hell. What's wrong with America? That's it right there. And, it's, and, and the problem is in church. Because the preachers are just telling you, you just come up here and pray a prayer and we'll give you one free ticket not to go to hell. That's, that's not true. The real purpose of becoming a Christian, John G. Lake, is not to save you from hell or to be saved to go to heaven. It is to become a child of God 
with the character of Jesus Christ and stand before men. It is to become a son of God. That's powerful, guys. This is, this is why people, I mean, now let's go back to the healing meeting. If you're in here wanting healing and you don't want him, you're just going to fall on the floor. Thank you. And people come back, oh, I didn't work. Really? God, y'all went quiet. <laughs> this is A.W. Tozer. As a follow-up to the eight-part series on the cross, today's posting features excerpt from an article written by A.W. Tozer on the subject, The Old Cross and the New Cross. All unannounced and mostly undetected, there has come into the modern times a new cross. In the popular evangelical circles, it is like the old cross, but it's different. The likenesses are superficial. The differences are fundamental. The new cross does not slay the sinner. It redirects him. It gears him to a cleaner and holier way of living and saves his self-respect. To the self-assertive, it says, come and assert yourself for Christ. To the egotist, it says, come and do your boasting in the Lord. To the thrill-seeker, it says, come and enjoy the thrill of Christian fellowship. But Christian message is slanted in the direction of the current vogue in order to make it acceptable to the public. But the old cross was a symbol of death. The man in Roman times who took up his cross and started down the road had already said goodbye to his friends. He's not coming home. He's going out to have it ended. The cross made no compromise, modified nothing, spared nothing. It slew the man completely and for good. The faith of Christ does not parallel the world. It intersects it. Wow. I'm going someplace in just a second. Y'all need to fasten your seatbelt. It's getting ready to get me. The corn and wheat must fall to the ground and die. God offers life, but he is not offering you an improved old life. The life he offers is a life out of your death. It stands always on the far side of the cross. What does that mean to the individual, the condemned man who would find life in Christ? How can his theology be translated into life? Simply, he must repent and believe. He must forsake sin and go to forsake himself and let him cover nothing, defend nothing, and, and excuse nothing. Having done this, let him gaze with simple trust on the risen Savior, and from him will come life and a rebirth and a cleansing power. The cross that ended your earthly life of Jesus now puts an end to the sinner, and the power that raised Christ from the dead now raises you to new life with Christ. Let us preach the old cross, and we'll come back to the old power. There is no power without the cross, and there is no Forgiveness without repentance. There isn't any. I'm listening to an article the other day, and I, don't, I'm, I hesitate to tell you who it was. Oh, gosh. Let me go ahead and tell you who it was because I'm, 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 I'm telling you what is public knowledge. I'm not telling you stuff that's private. But the charismatic world right now, or the, the Christian world, is having a problem with Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley's stand on gay marriage. Now, he has opened up his church to homosexuals in order for them 
to come to Jesus. Now, if you ask him, and the article that I, and the, the podcast I'm listening to, they ask him, do you believe that marriage is between one man and woman? He said, I do. Do you believe homosexuality is sin? I do. And he answers every question correctly. His, his answer, though, is this. We just want to love the homosexual as he finds Jesus. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. There's a new love entered Christianity. God loves a sinner. But at the same night that he's preaching the crusade, the, the conference, three of his guest speakers are men married to men. Now listen to what I'm going to say to you. That's not love. That's compromise. God loves the sinner. And he loves the sinner enough to tell you, I love you. Repent. There is forgiveness. Not five years from now. Don't sit in church for five years with your boyfriend making up your mind whether you want to get saved or not. What kind of, what kind of, what does that say to the kids walking in? Every one of us right now are dealing with people in our families that are not living right. And I'm going to read an article to you and I'm going to show you from the Bible how to deal with it in grace. Do y'all want to know? I mean, God loves sinners. Y'all are, y'all are wonderful. Y'all, y'all are, I mean, you guys are actually paying attention. I got another book. Let me tell you about another instance. One day I was in my office and a lady about 50 years old came crying, Pastor, my home is destroyed and it's broken. Stop crying, I said, and tell me about it. You know we have several sons but only one daughter. She has become a hippie. Now I have a hard time understanding a Korean hippie. What does a Korean, where do they get a doodle bug? Where do they get a Volkswagen and paint? I don't understand. I mean, I, I was a hippie and I just can't see, oh, hippie. I, I just can't. It's hard for me to imagine Chinese Chinese hippie, smoke a dough hand for you. Okay, never mind. I have quite an imagination when I read. I, I do. Uh, you know we have several sons, one daughter. She's a hippie. She sleeps with her with friends of my husband and with friends of my sons. Going from this hotel and that hotel and from dance hall to dance hall. She is a shame to our family, she cried. My husband cannot go to his office. My boys are dying of embarrassment, and now they're all going to leave home. I have tried everything. I've cried to the Lord to strike her dead. That's not love. Okay, okay. Oh, Pastor Cho. Oh, Pastor Cho. What's idol? Sorry, I have to do that. Stop whining. Okay, never mind. I told her, I can now see clearly why God would not answer your prayer. You're, you're presenting the wrong kind of mental blueprint to him. In your mind, you're always submitting the picture of a prostitute, aren't you? Oh, I know. We're gonna, this is going to get good here. Y'all are going to go, yes, amen, in just a minute. She was told, yes, that's, that's right. She is a prostitute. If you want to see her changed, you must submit another mental blueprint, I told her. You must clean the canvas of your imagination and draw a new picture 
Okay, is this wrong? No, it's not wrong. She rejected the idea and said, I can't. She's dirty, she's ugly, she's wretched. You stop talking like that and let's draw a new picture. Let's bring to mind another kind of spotted and speckled tree. You kneel down here and I'll kneel down with you. And we're going to go to the foot of Calvary and let's lift up our hands and look at Jesus dying on the cross, bleeding and beaten up. Why is he hanging there? Because of your daughter. Let's put your daughter right behind Jesus. Let's see your daughter through the spotted and the speckled cross. Can't you see your daughter forgiven, clean, born again, filled with the Holy Ghost and changed? Okay, this is what Andy Stanley's attempting to do. No, no condemnation. He's, this is what he's after. And we should be too. Okay. Can you draw the picture through the blood of Christ? Oh, pastor, yes, replied the mother. Now I see differently through Jesus, through the cross. I can change my image about my daughter. Wonderful, wonderful, I said. I will draw a new picture of your daughter. Keep that clear cut, vivid, graphic picture in your mind day and night. And the Holy Spirit can use you. His language is carried out in visions and dreams. And we know we're drawing the right kind of picture since we're coming to the foot of the cross. We knelt down, we prayed. Oh Lord, now you see this picture. Holy Spirit, flow into this new image, the new vision, the new dream. Change and now perform miracles. Praying for the girl. Then I sent this mother out, and as she was leaving, she was all smiles, no more crying. Her image of her daughter had changed. One Sunday, a few months later, she suddenly walked into my office and brought a beautiful young lady with her. Who is the young lady, I said. That's my daughter, she said. Did God answer you? Oh, yes, he did. She told me the story. One night, her daughter had been sleeping in a motel with a man. In the morning when she woke, she felt dirty and wretched. She felt with great unhappiness in her spirit and a deep desire to return home. But she was frightened and scared that her parents and her brothers, nevertheless, she decided to risk it. She said, I'll try to go home one more time. Very important for you to understand what real love is. Okay. If they kick me out, it's my last attempt. She went to her parents' home, rang the bell. Her mother came out. When she saw her daughter, her countenance lit up. As if the sun was shining on her face, she greeted her daughter, welcome my daughter, and rushed to hug her. This is not the end of the story. The daughter was absolutely overwhelmed by the love of her mother. She crumbled, crying. Her mother had prayed. The image of her daughter completely changed. She had welcomed her daughter on the spot and opened wider arms of love. Her mother then brought her to church. Listen, don't end the story with God loves you. You misunderstood the whole preaching tonight. For a period of two to three months, she listened to sermons. She confessed her sins and she gave her heart to Jesus and got filled with the Holy Ghost. Now let me explain something to you. When you love someone, you can love the person, but you have to hate what they do enough to give them the gospel so they can come to Jesus and make him Lord. But that's going to take them hearing truth so they repent. Amen. Father God, what I am living is wrong. Please forgive me. I clean me up. You can't compromise truth. 
What happens to homosexuals when they die? They go to hell. Sometimes there has to come a day when you look at a person and go, this isn't going to work. I need you to go to church. So Dr. Cho, in his books, said, he preaches repentance. You, you can't keep shutting me down. There are people in this room every Sunday morning living in sin and going to hell. If you, all you want is greasy grace because it, listen, when you look at someone and say, now that you know I love you, I'm going to give you some cold hard facts. Truth, when someone tells you truth, it will hurt. If you're married, you know this. You hurt my feelings. Sure, I hurt your feelings. You needed your feelings hurt. So y'all went quiet again. A church should not be condemning, but there should be enough come to Jesus, come to him, make him Lord, that a person understands I'm hanging in the balance right here. I mean, my mother loves me, my family loves me, and God loves me. But in the condition I'm in, this is not good. In Dr. Cho's church, he will not let you walk an aisle and pray a sinner's prayer. He will let you walk an aisle and go to a room where they will spend time with a Bible explaining what you're about to do. You're about to get married. You're about to give Jesus you. This is what makes the Bible work. Well, y'all are lovely. I mean, y'all are like. In early America, all of the revivalists preached, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. Well, people got saved. Someone got the bright idea. Why don't we tell them about heaven? And they started preaching, come to Jesus, go to heaven. That works. But, but, I, but can I just take, it's quite selfish. I would like to just go to heaven when I die. I'd like to accept Jesus so I don't, wait a minute, wait a minute. What happened to his end of this? I, can I read another scripture to you? How am I doing for time? Ooh. Okay, let me see if I finish my story. The daughter was absolutely overwhelmed by the love of the mother. Her mother brought a church spirit to him. The daughter now has three children of her own, a husband, and she's one of the leading cell group leaders in my church. She is a burning evangelist. I want you to start believing God for your kids to get on fire, not just to get saved. You're going to have to kick your believing up. You're going to have to go, Heavenly Father, I'm going to love my family. I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to love my grandkids. But when you open a door... I'm taking them to church, and I'm going to ask you for pastor to preach a message that, that makes my child go, I, I need to go forward. Okay. See how quiet y'all got? I think that's because you're listening. Matthew twenty-two, thirty-four. I was just going to put it on the screen. 
And when the Pharisees heard that they had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, said, tested him and said, what's the great commandment in the law? And he said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the first commandment is the great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. One more scripture. 1 John 5, 3. Are y'all doing all right? And this is the love of God. And we're not talking about him loving you. It has to be reciprocated. You must reciprocate that love. Do you appreciate what he did? Okay. The day I got born again, I got healed by the power of God. I didn't deserve it. That was not because he just wanted me to feel good. He's loving me. He's doing something for me to show that he cares. And I went down that day, and I'm, my life is so bad. 22 years of age, I'm on drugs. I'm on probation with the law. I'm sick. And I knelt, and I said, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do. If you're going to love me that much, I'm getting saved. I'm giving you me. And I'm in it. And I have not relinquished that in, in was it, how many years has it been? 1975, almost 50 years, 40-something years, long time. But I, I made a vow. I made a vow to God. I said, I'm, I'm yours. Be the Lord of my life. And I got home that night, and he said, get the dope out, get the playboys out, get the rock music out, get the booze out, and get it in the garbage. Really? I've only been saved today. You're getting kind of bossy, aren't you? And I did it. And he said, get a Bible. Start reading it. I have work for you to do. I said, yes, sir. So the day that I went to work with certainty, I didn't break a sweat. I need you in Tulsa. Yes, sir. I'm gone. I'm in Tulsa working for Hardesty, second largest apartment complex builder west of the Mississippi, and I'm one of their top maintenance men. And the Lord said, move to Orlando and be a youth pastor. Roger Hardesty flies an F-16 for a toy. He drives a Rolls Royce. He's filthy, filthy, filthy rich. And I'm one of his top men. Again, going to Orlando, let's go. Became a youth pastor. From youth pastor, we're to life. Listen, I'm not going to die just having made money. Thank God for money. I want to die knowing I ran my race and finished my course and did what he asked me to do. That is huge. That's a good life. All right, one more. I think, I think, first John, this is the love of God. That we what? It's not a pain. It is not a pain. I'm, I'm rewriting that scripture. I'm going to paraphrase. It's not a pain in the butt to love God. He is not crimping my style. 
He has blessed me better than I ever could have blessed myself. He has done more for me than I ever deserved or I ever could have done on my own. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm glad I don't work in a fiberglass plant with a Camaro. Does that make sense? But do you understand that when he asked me to walk, I'm like, okay. Boy, this is good preaching. So what happened with the rich young ruler? Is he just taking his money? No. He's not after the boy's money. He's trying to get him to have a relationship with him. He offered him a relationship. Imagine seeding forever as one of the 12 leaders of Israel for eternity. That's quite a position. Now, as you think about the rich young ruler, let's get it in perspective. He had no running toilet. He had no dishwasher. He had no AC. He had no heater. He had no car. And all of his great clothing was probably maybe four or five nice pieces. A horse and a chariot. And by our standards, he lived in Oviedo <laughs> or Bithlo. By our standards, he's dirt poor. By heaven's standards, he was dirt poor too. What he offered him was a thousand times greater. That's good preaching. Father God, I came here tonight with a great, just the idea that I wanted to preach on this. I, I know that people have read the story of the rich young ruler. I, I, I understand that in America today, people are, the biggest deal with people is success and money and all of those things when we die. I don't mean a thing in the world. The only thing that's ever going to matter for all eternity is did we obey you? Did we walk with you? And I pray that if anybody's in the room right now and you're dealing with them to come walk with you, that tonight they would say, yes, sir, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to pick up a Bible and I'm going to start obeying you. They'll never regret it a day in their life. And if anybody's in the room tonight and you're miserable, I gave you the answer. This is life. So, Father, you answered his question and you said, this is eternal life, that they know God. I pray everybody, the sound of my voice knows you. I pray that we leave tonight understanding what the gospel really is. And you help us with our evening and our days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. 811. Four minutes early. Don't get used to it. Did y'all enjoy that? Did you learn something? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a good story? Yeah. I'm not telling you that you have to be like me. I am going to tell you this. Be willing. Be willing. 
whatever he says to you, say, all right, I got this. Let's do this. You'll have more fun. I've been to 20 nations. I've raised people from the dead. I've seen hundreds and thousands born again. Been used by God greater than anything I ever imagined. It looked like I was coming out on the losing end, but I wasn't. I made the right choice. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big give now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.